Welcome into the Galloway Podcast, episode 25, the silver episode of the Galloway Podcast, whether you're listening off of Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or SoundCloud. Glad you're listening, and thank you for joining us. I'm your host, William Galloway. Give me a follow on Twitter at WM underscore Galloway, where a lot of the podcast content comes from. And it's kind of driven, uh, very, very Twitter-driven. And so you can check me out on there. We are currently in between weeks 7 and 8 of the college football season. Alabama is 6-0 and with a, after a 47-28 to win in College Station over the Texas A&M Aggies this past weekend. We'll talk about that with Ryan Fowler, today's guest, on the podcast coming up in just a few moments. Of course, you know Ryan is the host of the game on Tide 100.9 FM weekdays from 2 to 6 here in the Tuscaloosa area. Excited to talk to Ryan about some Alabama football. We're going to preview the Tennessee game. We're going to talk about uh, Texas A&M and what happened, and also we're going to look ahead at LSU as Alabama and the Bayou Bengals are 1 and 2 respectively now in the AP poll, so that's exciting. We'll get to talk to Ryan about that shortly here on the Galloway Podcast. want to give a shout-out to Rick Perkle, the Galloway Podcast College Football Week 7 score prediction winner from Twitter. Rick Perkle had Alabama 47-30 to over the Gigam Aggies of Texas A&M. And, of course, as I said, that final score was 47-28, to so Rick Perkle nearly had the score uh, directly. So congratulations, Rick. You can follow him on Twitter at Rick Perkle, R-I-C-K-P-I-R-K-L-E, one of the finest public address announcers in the business in the state of Alabama. So give him a follow. Congratulations, Rick, and be sure to look out for that poll on my Twitter coming out every Friday uh, before Alabama football games, predicting college football score predictions, Alabama and other schools as well. So Ryan Fowler coming up here on the Galloway podcast today. We're going to talk with him about Alabama football and then afterwards stay tuned. We're going to talk a little bit about Texas. We're going to talk a little a little bit about the MLB and what's going on with the Cardinals, what happened to the Braves, and also we'll talk a little bit of Tide Hoops as the season is under 20 days away now. Alabama basketball, Nate Oates' inaugural season as head coach of the Crimson Tide. We're excited for that kicking off in November. Events start very soon with Tide tip-off and preseason scrimmage games, so we will look at Alabama basketball on the Galloway Podcast. But now we're kicking it to the interview with Ryan Fowler. Thanks for listening to the Galloway Podcast. Joining the Galloway Podcast now is Ryan Fowler, the host of The Game on Tide 100.9 FM weekdays here in Tuscaloosa from 2 to 6 p.m. You can follow him on Twitter at Ryan C. Fowler. Ryan, how are you? It's good. It's good, William. I've uh, I've never been able to connect with you on an interview, so I'm excited about this. I, I do follow uh, you on some of the Twitter networks, and uh, you're a fast riser in this business, and uh, I wish you continued success. I mean, it's going to be a lot of fun. And- uh, listen, anytime we can talk Alabama football, life is good, my friend. Well, thank you so much. I appreciate you for saying that. So, so let's get down to it. Let's do uh, let's do what you and I both love to do, and let's talk some Bama football this weekend. The Crimson Tide obviously improved to six and zero. Hey, they're bowl eligible uh, with that forty seven to twenty eight win over the A and M Aggies in College Station. Ryan, what was your initial reaction to the game, and what kind of stood out to you overall in College Station this weekend? Let's go back to the offensive line. I think the offensive line is beginning to take some steps. Now, I don't want to put this all on Chris Owens because I don't feel like that that's fair 
But I do see that this offensive line, with Lance Dickerson at that center position, and you also have to account for Deontay Brown at that right guard position. I think Evan Neal, every game that he plays, he's taking that next step as a you know freshman offensive line that he can get that experience. But I thought the offensive line was my biggest takeaway. Anytime you can have two running backs that average over five yards per carry, and you look at Najee Harris, I think they're, those guys are getting some confidence. And then I think on the other side of the football, Tua is Tua. I think Tua is just going to do what he does. And how crazy is it that we have just you know, sort of come uh, to where it's automatic that he's going to throw four or five touchdowns? His success, think, we've become numb to his numbers, and I think that's insane every time I think about it. Yeah, no, I, I totally 100% agree. 100% agree. You know, when you look at – I mean, what he's been able to accomplish, what he continues to be able to accomplish here in Alabama. Uh, listen, guys, I've watched a lot of quarterbacks here in Tuscaloosa. Uh, I'm a huge, I'm a gigantic fan of what A.J. McCarron was able to do. You know, coming out of St. Paul's, uh, growing up, wanting to play football for the Alabama Crimson Tide. And I watch his records fall every single week. And now it is a different era in college football. We have to give that into consideration because – you know, Nick Saban was a lot more conservative, and I think A.J. would have been a quarterback that if needed to, he could have aired it out. But as I watch those records and I get that, you know, that post-game news and notes from, you know, the sports information department after the game, and I look at it and I see each record fall, it's just crazy. Uh, but let's go spend a little bit of time on that defensive side of the football. I think Terrell Lewis is finally getting as close as he possibly can to 100%. He doubled his sack total. But I think it was more than just the sacks and, you know, statistical output. I believe it was one of those that when you look at his production, impacted the game, influencing the quarterback, knowing that, hey, this guy is, you know, a perfect edge rusher. And then you look at Anthony Chiefs, get those guys on the same field and the same combination. I just think it's a good step for Alabama. I think it's a good step on that side of the football uh, to find a way to, to get some confidence there. I've not been very pleased with defensively. I thought we've been a, bit, a little bit lacking in a lot of different areas, but I did see where they're taking some steps in the right direction on that side of the football, and I think that's a good thing for Alabama. Yeah, one thing that's really interesting to me about the defense is, uh, and we saw this in the first couple of games where Alabama's playing teams and they're getting in up in the 80s and sometimes even into the 90s in snaps and – Alabama and 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 people like us in the media and and critics and other people just everyone all around college football is like well this defense can't hold and the defense proved a lot this weekend in a cool weathered game in College Station but can they get off the field like this weekend Texas A&M was five for twelve on third down they didn't convert their one fourth down attempt Um, but Alabama is despite the holes that they have and despite the injuries that they've seen so far this year on defense they're holding up um, and doing what they have to do now granted it's not up to coach Saban's standard and it's not up to the Alabama defenses of of the past when you think of the 2011-2016 defenses that were A1 top tier like we've never seen in college football but it's certainly getting the job done um and I think we, we wish we could just see these defenses a little bit more uh, get off the field a little bit faster. No, I, I think you're right. But I also go back, you know, I was talking on my show earlier this week with a guy that was part of the 2011 uh, defensive team. His name is Will Lowry. Will was from Hoover, uh, 
won a lot of state championships, was part of a couple of national title teams here. And that 2011 defense, I want to say they gave up 8.6 points per game. We're not going to see that in college football because those days are gone. I mean, right. We're, and the question that I throw to Will is, I said, let me ask you, when you look at all these different rule changes, when you look at all the different ways that we're attacking the defensive side of the football, you know, how much of a, a he's got to be in your mind. I mean, targeting. I don't even know. Listen, I mean, I'm in, I'm in the media business. I cover college football for a living. William, I don't know if I could properly describe what is a targeting call and what's not a targeting call. It's I extremely mean, it, subjective. Yeah, so and when you talk about the NFL, it's the same thing. It's happening in college football as well. And so when when you when you look at it, it it's got to be, you know, the conversation when we, we – it, it's got to go through their mind. If I make a hit or a player lowers his head and I connect with him with my head, am I going to be called for targeting? I think that goes through their mind as a defensive player. I think you add all this up. You add the RPO, which is unfair for a second and third level. And, and Coach Saban and I, when I've interviewed him in the past, I've talked about that RPO. And I know he was against it for quite a bit. He talked about the firing off the football. When an offensive lineman can fire off the football, and he can be so many yards down the field, and they end up, instead of a running play, it's a passing play, that's unfair for your linebackers and your secondary to try to read that offensive lineman. The NFL is a one-yard rule. College football is a three-yard rule, but they don't even force three yards. Now, if you're engaged, you can drive him 60 yards down the field, okay? Uh, but if you're not engaged, you just keep me running out through. The, the problem is is that rule is, is, is another one of those that is just hard to identify. I think the college football at some point, if they're going to counter this and go back to give the defense a little bit of help, they're going to have to go back to a one-yard rule and sort of give that and say, hey, let's give it one yard. And like NFL, but, but they're going to have to figure out how to give some balance because I think it's healthy for the game when you could have defenders that, you know, it's, it's good to have both offense and defense and both of those, you know, serving a purpose. Right. And it, it's – it's tough on the players because, like you said, when you when you go from college to NFL, there is that jump um, com- when you compare that one yard to the three yard. And, you know, players already have to adjust to the college game when they jump from the high school level. Granted, you don't see at this level in the SEC, you don't see too many freshmen starting in the offensive line. Um, but it's all about that adjustment. And, and what what's fair to the players, uh, what's fair to the defense, as you were saying as well, um, and, and what you face head-on and targeting. So it's, it'll be really interesting to, to see kind of the adjustments um, that are made. But, Ryan, when we look at Alabama this season, that offensive line had a lot of questions week one. And I think a lot of those questions are being – not totally erased, but they're being pushed to the side and, and the concerns are not near as much uh, coming from Alabama fans as we've seen guys come in and these guys really gel really well. Who has stood out to you? For me, it's Jedrick Wills because week in and week out, that guy has been so consistent. Well, and, and I put my foot in my mouth a little bit. You know, as a, you know, as a guy that talks, I mean, sometimes you, you say things that, you know, you almost wish that you could, you, you could have back, but when I saw this offensive line, let's go back to Jonah Williams from last year. I don't know if I appreciated him enough uh, for what he was able to do 
and and a highly thought of NFL prospect. So when I when I look at Alex Leatherwood, I thought Alex, Alex Leatherwood would probably have a little easier transition. I thought he was playing out of position last year at that guard. He has been able to anchor that left tackle, but I don't know is he if he has been as dominant maybe as what we expected. I thought 2012 sets the standard as the best offensive line in Alabama history. Okay, that offensive line was just dominant, and they could push people around. They could do what they wanted to do, and so I thought that this offensive line had a chance to be the second best offensive line under Nick Saban. And and that was just looking ahead and going, okay, you got Jared Wills at right tackle, and he's going to be probably a first-rounder guy. You look at the future of Evan Neal. You, you, you thought about Emil Ikior. Uh, and little did I know that Landon Dickerson was probably going to be the most consistent offensive lineman. I don't think it's easy to do. You come in as a grad transfer. You're able to build chemistry, get respect from your teammates. But come in, and he's really kind of changed the look of that offensive line. So when I look at it, I got to go with him because look at when you plug in. Barry Jones told me, a two time All American here, the most decorated player in Alabama history who won just about every award that you could possibly win at Alabama. He told me center is one of the hardest positions that he ever played. Well, if you take that and take a guy like Barry Jones, which if ESPN Radio, and I think he's, he's an up and coming star in that side of the business because of. Well, how he analyzes the games. But if you look at that center, Nick Saban asked Landon Dickerson to fill in. I know that was his second start. New Mexico State was his first start at center. But you go back to Saturday against Texas A&M on the road in the SEC and the way that Texas A&M sort of disguised a lot of the things they were doing defensively, I thought he answered really a lot of questions. Deontay Brown, two games in, we know what he's capable of. He can continue to uh, to, to get where he needs to be. Deontay and I have similar issues, okay? I don't have very many uh, common uh, characteristics between football players, but Deontay Brown and I love to go around the buffet line, okay? That's, just, <laughs> that's what we love, okay? Uh, I call it hyper-caloric intake, okay? Where you're just eating too much and you're absorbing way too many calories. So not not always a bad thing either. No, 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 no. Listen, especially if you live in the South. I mean, we live in the SEC country, you know, where Southern cuisine is is awesome. They never talk about, yeah, yeah. They never talk about Ohio State's food or, you know, hey, you guys ever had the the Michigan food? What is Michigan food? Well, in Alabama, we know that we fry everything. Well, Deontay Brown, listen, when you got a name like cornbread, I mean, think about that name for just a minute. Cornbread. Well, I mean, there's no way that you could not love food. If you got a name, you like gotta eat. Food, you gotta be a lover yeah. of food. You gotta be. You gotta be a first in line of the kitchen and last one to sure. leave. Sure. And and the way that they feed those guys inside that complex, I can't blame. Oh my uh, gosh, they eat like kings. It's yeah, unreal. I mean, so so I cannot blame Deontay Brown. So once he gets down to where he's comfortable at playing weight, and for him, that's probably about three thirty-five, three forty. And I think he's still a few more pounds to go. And I, I saw him a couple of weeks ago at practice, and he was in, in one of those those sauna suits, like, and right. like, like, yeah. I mean, he was just trying to trim some weight off. And, and hey, Deontay Brown, I feel you, man. But I love the way you play, and I love the way that you know you, you sort of smash people around. So I'm starting to believe, and this offensive line has always been much better pass protection, but I think they're getting an edge about them on the run 
uh, stuffing, and that's only going to help Alabama in the future as they prepare for bigger and better opponents. Yeah, and that Alabama offensive line only allowed one sack and helped the offense rush for 155 yards on Saturday. When we look ahead to this weekend, Ryan, Tennessee comes to town. People are bringing out the cigars, and it's going to be a night game in Bryant-Denny, something I know I'm excited for. I'm sure you are as well. When we look at Tennessee, obviously a team that has struggled and struggled and struggled some more this year. Uh, got Did get a win this past weekend over Mississippi State, but what do you see in Tennessee on the field? And then before you talk about them on the field, what does the Tennessee rivalry mean to you um, as somebody who has been around Alabama football for quite some time? All right, so when I look at Alabama, listen, the Tennessee rivalry growing up in North Alabama, it, it's a special football game. Growing up in this state, it's always going to be Alabama and Auburn for me. Now, I'm talking about for me personally being from the state. Now, I feel like that LSU has kind of jumped in there. And if not number one for the players, it's got to be number two. And I know the Iron Bowl, uh, but I feel like LSU, Jonathan Allen told me this a couple of years ago, he said that nobody's going to out-Alabama us, and it's the style of play that LSU likes to play with the physicality. But the Tennessee game, to me, has always been special, and I think a lot of it is because it's been back and forth. You know, it, it's been a lot of different ways to analyze this Alabama-Tennessee game. And so when you, when you look at it and you look ahead and you try to break it down and you try to analyze it, this is just a special football game. It was special to Coach Bryant. He made this game. See, he didn't respect Auburn. He called them everything in the book. I mean, he, right. he would refer to them as Cal College. He wouldn't even want to say their name. That team down okay. south. Right. So when you when you look at it from a standpoint of, uh, of the team across the state, of the team down south, and I mean, he I mean he literally called them Cal College. I mean, think about that if Nick Saban opened up one of his press conferences and called. Well, you know, we got the Cal College this weekend, okay? Uh, and so Coach Bryant did respect Tennessee because of Johnny Majors, because of General Nealon. And I think that is a continuation of where, you know, you look at Coach Perkins, and then you look at Bill Curry, and then you look at Coach Stallings. I think those individuals were impacted by Coach Bryant, and it's been a continuation. And so I grew up when you had respect for Tennessee. Well, then here comes the 2000s when the NCAA and all the different sanctions, and we know you know, Tennessee had a role in some of that with Philip Fulmer and uh, some other coaches. But, but when you look at it, it's sort of amplified. And I watched this bitter or this rivalry become bitter, and I, I watched it become hatred. And so I lived all that. And so you know, watching Jason Witt run all up and down Alabama uh, inside Brian G. said we had no answer for him. Those are the memories, you know, Peyton Manning standing on the ladder in the corner of the end zone, leading the band in old Rocky Top. Listen, I promise you, if I could have got to that ladder, I'd have knocked that ladder out from under. Yeah, I, mean, <laughs> I, I mean, that's the type of rivalry that we've had. And I, I'm not meaning it in a hard way. It's just, it was the respect. Well, now when you look at Nick Saban, he's been absolutely dominating over them. And I think this rivalry has lost a little bit of its luster. I think I was doing some of this just simple addition earlier and looking at outscoring, and it's like 454 to 147 in 12 years. Only two years have been closed, and that was 2015 and 2009. Other than that, it's been an absolute beat 
Yeah. It's, I feel like everything's been somewhere high 40s to somewhere mid-teens. It's always yeah. roughly in that ballpark. And yeah. I don't I don't know if Tennessee's good enough to get on the scoreboard this year. All right, and, and I haven't said this, and, and this will be this will be kind of fun. I don't think Tennessee's coming back. I don't think this program is going to get back to their rich tradition. We're talking about the second richest tradition in the Southeastern Conference. They've won 13 SEC titles, second to Alabama's 27. I think Georgia's getting close, but I, I think they're still and, – and I, I don't know the number. I'm just really going offhand. But I, I know that they're – you know, we talk about national titles. We talk about history – uh, they've got a lot of tradition. I don't know if that program is ever going to get back to where they once was. And it may, but it's going to be a long time before that program. And I like Jeremy Pruitt, but I don't think it's going to work out at Knoxville with him. And I think it's it's just it's who they are right now. I mean, this is a team uh, that's really struggled to pick up any wins. And I take a little bit of enjoyment in, in watching – a program that you know whipped up on Alabama for so many years, uh, kind of going through some struggles of their own. There, there was a point. I think it was after the BYU loss where uh, Ryan, I, I looked at Tennessee and I looked at my friends after the game. I remember Alabama had played earlier that day and Tennessee had wrapped up that evening. And uh, I looked at my friends and I said, "Guys, Jeremy Pruitt very well might be back in Tuscaloosa by as early as Wednesday." I, I, I seriously thought he was not going to have a job in after after that 0-2 start. You know, I thought so, too. I, I said the same thing. And, uh, you know, you think about Nick Saban for just a minute. We think about this Tennessee-Alabama game this weekend. Uh, Pete Golding has been under a lot of stress because of the, the injuries at linebacker, and that's his position grouping. A lot of criticism, and I've been fair of throwing out some of those because I don't think Alabama's really played up to standard on that defensive side of the football. But you think about Nick Saban, he's got a chance to run the score up, or does he call off the dogs a little bit and maybe pull it back with somebody that he's got a lot of respect for in Jeremy Pruitt? Because Jeremy Pruitt, he's not off the hot seat. I don't care if you just beat Mississippi State. This team is, is going to really struggle to finish up, you know, e- even getting close to being bowl eligible. And so if you look at that, that's going to be a it's going to be a struggle. And and the problem is, is you're paying a lot of money. And if you're Philip Fulmer, you're going to have to see progress. And progress starts with comparing yourself against Alabama. Right. And we're going to see this barometer of, okay, how far have they went in the right direction? Uh, there's a lot of Alabama guys up there, but I still I don't think Jeremy Pruitt survives. I just I don't unless something just really crazy happens. They got Kentucky, they've got Vanderbilt, I think they've got South Carolina still. They they've got some some possible games that they could win, but they could also find a way to wreck and 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 really have some issues going down the stretch. Well, I tell you that that Vanderbilt Tennessee game is going to be uh going to be a doozy. I don't know if it'll be. 7 p.m. on ABC, but uh, it'll be a showdown for sure up there in Tennessee. Always, always. You know, it's a fun place to win. I mean, it's, it's a fun place to watch a game. It really is. Oh, you know, it is, yeah. Place. I went up there last year, and it was it was a really, really cool experience. Uh, I was on the top of the student section, and I think I was closer. I was literally in the top row of the stadium, the corner of the end zone, and I think I was closer to the Tennessee River than I was to the turf. Um 
but that was just kind of my, my measurement based off of me turning around and looking at the river versus me trying to watch the game. Uh, but it is, it is a beautiful place, and uh, it was great fall weather and, and definitely looking forward to going up there again next year. Um, but this weekend, obviously, Butch Jones was on the sideline last time the Vols rolled into Tuscaloosa. Uh, Jeremy Pruitt is there now. Will he be there in two years? Probably not. And I, I think – I mean, I don't even, like I said earlier, I don't even know if uh, Tennessee will be able to put anything on the board this weekend. But I, I, I'm not one for score predictions. I am. I like to hear people's, but I'm not great at giving mine. I'd say, I'd say we get somewhere 58 to three, something like that. Oh wow. Okay. Well, and, and, and keep in mind now, and, and and that's why I'm a little bit conservative because I think he is going to pull off the dogs. Because I think he knows, you know, Nick Saban cut his teeth on the assistant coaching rankings and spent a lot of years there, got the opportunity. And I think Jeremy Pruitt uh, has paid his dues on the assistant coaching side, uh, coaching at, you know, here, uh, Florida State, Georgia. I think Nick Saban's going to pull off the dogs early. I just don't think that he's going to find a way to air, to air it up. And so I, I think Alabama is probably going to be one of those teams that's going to be right there around that spread. And I, I'm looking like 42-10, I just don't know if they're going to cover because I just I feel like that Nick Saban is not going to embarrass Jeremy Pruitt. And, and I think it, it would be a little different if Alabama was in a situation where or, – or Tennessee was in a situation where they're not on a hot seat. But I think knowing everything about Jeremy Pruitt – I think Nick Saban will call the dogs off early. It's just, right, that's it's a fair. random opinion. Yeah, because I, I think he's got a lot of respect for Jeremy Pruitt. I mean, he gave him his start I mean, as a, as a, you know, a uh, off the field coach coming in. I want to say oh seven oh eight oh nine something like that. Player personnel director and sort of worked his way up in this Nick Saban system. And and I think Nick Saban said it on uh, Monday, and I know he said it at the midweek point too. That you know when you look at Tennessee. You see a lot of similarities between what he does here in Tuscaloosa, not the way that they're winning or losing, but just with their style of play. Right. Well, we'll we will see if he runs up the score. If he does not, probably. Yeah, I, I like your prediction of not, but we'll, we will see. That's 8 p.m. Oh, it's going to be a late one. Lights are going to be on. Smoke's going to be rising in the third quarter. It's going to be fun. I, for one, am very excited. Also, I'm excited about LSU coming up in just a few weeks. Uh, whether that game is on at night, we're not sure. Um, maybe 2.30, maybe 6, maybe 7. We'll see. Certainly wouldn't be an 11 a.m. game. But, Ryan, when you look at Alabama and LSU right now, obviously stacked one and two in the polls, and we talked a little bit earlier kind of about uh, that intensity that you mentioned that LSU tries to bring when they play Alabama. Um, what do you think – about Alabama LSU coming up in the next couple weeks because obviously LSU's got some big tests in front of them. Um, and will LSU will it will it still be number one versus number two? Will it have the hype that it has right now? And how good exactly do you think is Joe Burrow? Well, I, I think Joe Burrow is a talented guy. And I think it's really been a system of change when you look at LSU. I mean, and and for one, you got to look at the culture. Let's go back to last year. I'm talking about August of 2018. We started painting Coach O on the hottest seat in college football. 
and he won 10 games. He got the, t- the, tr- the team to rally around his personality. He understands that culture. So I think you've got to give Coach O a lot of credit, a lot of credit when you talk about uh, you know being able to present uh, everything they wanted to do there, getting off the hot seat, really building something that now we're talking about as a college football playoff contender. And they've got a chance to come to Tuscaloosa and win a lot of hardware uh, to not only win probably the SEC West, but also it, it may be the Heisman Trophy. I mean, Joe Burrow has had a tremendous season. Now, listen, I'm biased because I follow what's happening here with Tua Tungabaloa, and I see it as a record-setting and a trend-setting. I think they got ripped out of the Heisman Trophy last year. I voted for Tua Tungabaloa as, as my Heisman vote. Uh, Kyler Murray was my second guy, and I just respect what he was able to do. He's having an even a incredible more season this year, but you've got to look at LSU, and this is what I look at the next two teams, LSU at Mississippi State, and then they return home to Baton Rouge to play Auburn. Then they've got a bye week, then they'll come to Tuscaloosa. Alabama, they've got a little easier road. They've got a Tennessee team and then a Arkansas team that's really struggling with Chad Morris. So when you look at the two teams that both of them are in, in front of, I think they got to find a way to get better. And whoever's going to take this two weeks to get better and to say, hey, we're going to beat Tennessee, we're going to beat Arkansas, we're going to beat Mississippi State, we're going to beat Auburn, but that finds a way to improve. Because both of these teams defensively are not playing where they want to be. Right. And they got to find a way to correct that. And whoever's able to do that, I think will win the game in November. And I think it's that's probably the message that Nick Saban is trying to preach. Uh, and also, listen, you got to be able to you know get some injury luck as well because you don't want to get any guys injured, and you know that can always change the outcome of this game. But I like this LSU football team, and that really starts with Coach O the way that he's been able to change that culture down there. That ticket is going to cost Alabama <laughs> fans, Alabama students, a pretty penny. I've been uh, scanning the the Facebook exchange. I've got a ticket, so I'm fine. But just out of genuine curiosity, seeing how high they will go. And it, if, if you want a ticket, I mean, good luck. Also, if you want to pay your November rent, you can sell your ticket, and you could probably cover it. Um, but the, the point that you make about the teams not being where they want to be and, and being undoubtedly the best two teams in college football, that's a scary thought. Because people love to hate on the SEC and say, oh, it's just Alabama and LSU is in and out every couple years. Well, as like just like you were talking about, Alabama and LSU, like obviously they're one and two in the AP poll right now. I have no doubt if things continue and LSU gets, gets these next couple wins um, and assume Alabama will too, that they'll be one and two in the college football playoff poll. And so everyone's going to look at them as the, as the best two teams in the country, and they're not where they want to be. And that's a scary thought. And Alabama fans know that this is this is a good Alabama team, but this isn't the best Alabama team that's ever come through. It might be the best offense, but overall, as a team right now, six games in, it's not it's not the best team that's ever come through Tuscaloosa. Uh, and I, I think I, I do think this game has game of the year uh, implications, game of the century implications um, as well. But I'm just fascinated to see the quarterbacks go head-to-head because so often we've seen, uh, like last year, we look at Tua Tungavaloa versus Kyler Murray, and Kyler Murray did well, didn't get the win uh, in that college football playoff semifinal, but he played well against a very solid Alabama defense. And I think the head-to-head matchup we're going to see versus in, in Tua versus Burrow is going to be just one for the record books. No, I, listen, I, I cannot wait. 
uh, I was in, I was on the field uh, for that 2011 game. Uh, Urban Fraud Meyer uh, was actually standing right behind me because I'm not a big Urban Meyer fan at all. Uh, but but he was standing right behind me. We watched the last probably quarter and a half right there. I mean, literally two feet from me. And, and I remember you know just thinking about you know that game and then how college football has changed. Think about how college football has changed. If that's if that 2011 game, and then you look ahead to where we're both airing it out and we're throwing the football all over the field. I mean, that's how college football has changed in you know an eight year period. Yeah. I mean, it's crazy to think about that Nick Saban. Yes, that Nick Saban that was so conservative and and wanted to turn it over to his defense has adjusted to the current rules. And I think that's a credit. Listen, we've watched guys who took programs, Les Miles, other coaches that have been stubborn, and they're willing to be fired without changing their you know offensive identity, the way they play. Uh, so you got to back up a little bit. You got to give. You know, Nick Saban some credit for adjusting to the current rules of college football and saying, okay, hey, you want to play like this? Perfect. Let's play like this. And, and that's what he's been able to do with Tua Tungvaloa, you know, and the, all these talented wide receivers here in T-Town. It's, I'm really excited to see where these guys are going to go. Uh, some might say some most will probably go to the draft, but the, the talent we're watching right now, um, and, and I've talked about student attendance on, on previous episodes, and I'm not going to get into that now, but growing up, being from Birmingham and seeing what Alabama, like my first couple memories of Alabama football, watching Alabama lose to Auburn for the fourth, fifth, and sixth year in a row to seeing what, what's on the field now and all this future NFL talent and all these players – it makes me so appreciative and just every time I see those guys go on the field and compete, I am blown away because they are so good. And like that's that's my team out there. And it's it's it really is incredible to, for me to watch. Um, and, and for the students that whether or not they're from out of state, whether or not they care <coughs> excuse me, about Alabama football, um, some of them would just would be like, oh, yeah, whatever, two or three for 350 yards, four touchdowns, and, you know, that's just another day at the office, or, or, they, don't, or they don't go to the games or they leave early. I'm just baffled. Like, are you guys – I understand, like, you might not have the same sports level of appreciation as me, but, I mean, look what's going on. These guys are your age, and look what they're doing. It's unreal. Now, listen, when you look at Tua Tungvaloa and all these wide receivers – you're never going to see this again in college football. You're just not. I mean, this is not going to happen when we talk about this many wide receivers on one team. And how cool would it be that you're sitting around, you know, 20 years from now, and you're sharing college stories of, listen, I didn't have the days. When, when I was a student at the University of Alabama, we, we really struggled. I mean, and we struggled like you know, like I was telling you guys about Jason Witten running all over in us in Tennessee right. and Tennessee. Uh, the Clawson uh, boy from up there that was, was was really, really solid. I mean, we watched some struggles. Enjoy this moment and enjoy the, the players' legacy because these guys are going to go on and have awesome careers in the NFL, and you're going to be able to say, hey, I was there. I was there You know, when Tua Tungvaloa broke this record. I was there because I was always jealous of my dad uh, for – talking about you know all these different players in the 70s that he grew up with and in the 60s with Joe Namath and Kenny Stabler and all this. And, and now I'm looking at it going, you know, I can share those same type of stories, you know, with my 
uh, grandkids or nieces or nephews and right. I could be able to share. But, but listen, you never take an opportunity for granted that you can go inside Bryant Denny Stadium and see the best players in college football perform at this highest level. Trust me. Yeah. Don't take it for granted, Alabama fans. Enjoy every moment you get a chance to go inside Bryant Denny Stadium and watch your team beat another team like Tennessee. Absolutely. We're going to enjoy this season. We're going to enjoy this weekend, Tennessee's night game. Ryan Fowler on the Galloway Podcast. Ryan, thank you so much for joining. Really enjoyed talking Bama football with you, and uh, I'm excited to see how these next couple weeks shape up for the Crimson Tide. Hey, no doubt, man. Listen, I always enjoy talking Alabama athletics with you guys. And uh, listen, it's a, it's a lot of fun to be able to relive uh, some of these great memories that 2019 has given us. But I think it's also going to be fun to watch how this season progresses. And hopefully, you know, when it's all said and done, uh, Nick Saban at Alabama will be hoisting up a trophy down in New Orleans. Uh, William, thank you again for inviting me on the podcast, man. Absolutely. Number 18 is hopefully in Alabama's future. The Crimson Tide are halfway through their regular season, 6-0, an unblemished 6-0 record. Just kidding, we know there are plenty of problems from Alabama. There's plenty of things to fix going forward. The schedule gets a lot harder. We're not going to say the Tide is unblemished. That's not fair. That's not accurate. But we're excited to see what Alabama does. A team we have been keeping our eye on, of course, are the Texas Longhorns. And if you've been keeping up closely with them, um, I'd say Texas has been tamed this year. I mean, what is going on down in Austin? The Texas Longhorns lost to Jalen Hurts and the Oklahoma Sooners this weekend, 34-27. to And I just... Texas is not back. Like Ryan was saying about Tennessee, will will Tennessee be back? No, but will Texas ever be back? I mean, they've been knocking on the door. They played in New Year's Six Bowl last year. They had a good win over Georgia. But this year, when they face stiff competition, granted, they have they've played um, some quality opponents this season. Obviously, LSU, and they struggled against LSU, lost. 45 to 38 at home. And this past weekend, they struggled uh, at in the Cotton Bowl with Jalen Hurts in Oklahoma. Um, but right now, LSU's number two in the country. And Oklahoma, number five in the country. When Texas is playing big-name schools, when they are playing very good competition, they crumble. And you can't point to last year's Sugar Bowl and say, well, oh, they beat Georgia, right? I mean, that's, that's something in and of itself. No, that's last year. Clemson won the national championship last year. Look where Clemson is right now. They are struggling with their season. They're not playing very well compared to the other teams, top teams in the country, the Alabamas, the LSUs that are making statements. Clemson is not making a statement week in and week out. So Texas, what are you doing? You play really good teams, and you go like a bear into hibernation. Not really sure what's going on in Austin. Uh If I have stock in Texas, I'm selling it because nothing is looking very promising right now. Uh, Obviously, if you're a Braves fan, there's hope for the future, and things will be promising next year, but your season's over, unlike Texas, who has plenty more games to prove themselves. So totally switching sides here, switching switching sports, excuse me. Uh, The Cardinals knocked out the Braves in the NLDS. That that game five was, was something else. I was driving, and I... Got where I was going, got in the parking lot, and looked 
and it was the bottom of the first inning. All of a sudden, there was it was ten runs, like the snap of a finger. It was unreal, and I could not believe it. That Cardinals game five versus the Braves in NLDS was just something like I'd never seen in baseball. I mean, ten runs in the in the top half of the first. What in the world? Braves weren't coming back from that, but. Nationals beat the Dodgers in the other NLDS, and then the Cards in the NLCS lose to the Nationals, and the Nationals win the National League this year. How about that? No Bryce Harper. So we look at the ALCS, and game postponed. Astros are up 2-1. to one. Game 4 coming up soon, but it'll be in the Bronx. Yankees will probably take it, tie up the series. We don't know what's going to happen. Stay tuned. But that's an interesting game. It's an interesting series to see who will take on the Nationals. I'm really excited. Now, I know a lot of you that listen to this podcast are maybe not the biggest baseball fans in the world. So, on that note, before we lose your interest, let's cut back on the baseball talk. And let's head to the hardwood. Alabama basketball season is less than 20 days away. Nate Oates and company rolling into Tuscaloosa. Cannot wait for this first game against Penn November 5th. It's going to be so much fun. And not just that game against Pitt. There's, There's nothing exciting particularly about them that stands out to me. But it's the fact that Alabama basketball is back. There is a new chapter. No, no, no. Scratch that. There's not a new chapter. This is a brand new book. Alabama is writing its own new book on basketball. Completely different program. All the coaches, I mean, gone. New coaches. For the most part, I think it's it's definitely over 50% of a new roster. Maybe somewhere over 70%. Um, but guys that are going to play fast, and everyone says they're going to play fast, but this team is going to play fast. Nate Oates played at Buffalo last year at one of the fastest, I think it was the fourth fastest pace in the country. Um, so really excited about Alabama basketball. If you're an Alabama student, Tide tip-off Friday night in Tuscaloosa. Doors open at 6 p.m. There's a tailgate at 5 p.m. The events start at 7. Players will be doing dunks and scrimmages, and we'll get a look um, at Alabama. Men's and women's basketball will be... Uh, taking the floor that night. They'll do roster introductions. You get to see all the new faces, all the new players, new coaches, everything. Uh, And then, obviously, they'll run up and down the floor, and we'll get to see just exactly how fast are they playing before they get into these not-so-secret scrimmages against Georgia Tech, which is actually an exhibition, uh, and Jacksonville State, a not-so-secret scrimmage, quote, quote. So Alabama got a little bit of competition uh, and a little bit of fun for the fans as well. That uh, exhibition game is the 27th, I believe, against Georgia Tech, and that'll be in Coleman Coliseum. I will definitely be there. Very excited for that one. Um, But year one of Nate Oates, so excited. Cannot wait. And Media Day was today in at the Grand Bohemian in Mountain Brook. I don't think anything riveting was said. Nate Oates said he would play fast, but we all know that. Uh, Herb Jones, Herbert Jones, and Kyra Lewis Jr. represented Alabama on the player's side and went and spoke on the team's behalf. I'm sure they did a wonderful job, and I'm sure we'll be reading 
articles and tweets and things of the sort coming from that media day. I haven't heard much yet as it is fresh off of this afternoon, but excited for the season coming up in less than 20 days, be it tied tip-off, be it the scrimmage, be checking out as Alabama checking in, rather, as Alabama basketball season begins right before that LSU game, as we talked about earlier on the podcast with Ryan Fowler. Now, I do want to say this before we close up. Alabama basketball, I've been asked this so many times, and this is so important, so stay with me here. I've been asked online, I've been asked in person, is Alabama going to be good? And to you people that ask me, is Alabama going to be good? I don't know. And I don't know for multiple reasons. What's your standard of comparison? What is what what do you think is good? What is adequate for you as an Alabama basketball fan? And and also what do you think? Because let's let's think about this for a second. Nate Oates has been here for 7 months. He's got a completely new staff. As I mentioned earlier, he's got a completely new team. And also What's your definition of good in college basketball? Is Alabama going to win the national championship this year? No. And if they do, I'll buy everyone that listens to this a box of donuts. Uh, That's on the record. That's going out there. If you listen to this, I'll buy you a hot dozen donuts from Krispy Kreme. And if Alabama wins the national championship, you just got to let me know that you listen to the podcast, and I'll do it for you. But what I'm getting at is, Alabama's going to be good, right? They're going to be they're going to be a a fast-paced team. They have very good players. They have a very talented, knowledgeable, inspiring coach who the players want to give 110% for 110% of the time. I know a lot of people aren't a fan of 110%, but we're just we're just going to go with it here. Alabama can be a very good basketball team, but what is your standard of good? Is your standard of good going 14 and 4 in conference play because that is next to impossible to do in the SEC, which is now, from top to bottom, in my opinion, the best college basketball conference from top to bottom. When you look at the best team to the worst team, who has the most talent, who has the best coaches, the SEC definitely has the best coaches in all of college basketball. I know you got Tony Bennett. I know you got Coach K. I know you got Roy Williams in the ACC, but look at the bottom of the ACC and, and tell me that those coaches are better than the, the bottom seven of the coaches in, uh, in the SEC where teams finish this year. So what is your comparison? Do you think are you, are you shooting for Alabama to be a tournament team? Because, yes, Alabama has the legitimacy to be a tournament team. Is their non-conference schedule difficult? It's pretty difficult. It's good enough to have a good resume going into the tournament if Alabama has less than a handful of losses in, in non-conference play. They can't they can't do what they've done in the past and, and start off strong and then go into a December slump and try and recover uh, late in December with non-conference play. No, Alabama needs to win – just about all of their non-conference games, they've got a tough one against North Carolina in the battle for Atlantis, but they, Alabama needs to be somewhere in between four, I'd say four, and anywhere between three and five non-conference losses total, and I think they're cooking with gas. And I think they hit their stride. Now, all this is pending on is Javon Quinterly el- eligible. And his waiver hasn't been granted by the NCAA yet. NATO said today that he, the NCAA knows that Alabama has a scrimmage coming up and they'd like to use him. They, I don't think they could use him without 
having permission from the NCAA and having his waiver granted because it's an exhibition and it's a scrimmage uh, and you want to play with the, with the cards you dealt and you don't know if he's eligible or not. But with less than 20 days, Alabama needs to figure out if Quinterly is going to be eligible. So all this to say, when you look at Alabama and you ask, is Nate Oates' team going to be good in year one? Sure. Yes. No. Absolutely not. Maybe. I don't know. All those answers are appropriate because it depends what is your standard of good. What do you define as good? What is a successful season for Alabama men's basketball? And I think in year one for Nate Oates, we're going to be able to tell a lot, and I think he's going to be a whole lot. He's going to be here a whole lot longer than four, five, six years. I think he has the ability to do and be a successful coach in this league at this school. He has all the resources. He can recruit well. Um, but it goes back to what are your expectations? Don't set them sky high. This isn't Alabama football. We're not winning national championships every year in basketball. We're not making it to the Final Four every year. We can consistently get to the point where we make the tournament, maybe win an SEC championship, regular season title, and I, yeah, we can get there. But year one, are we going to be good? What's your definition of good? That is going to be my response to you now, those people that ask me, is Alabama going to be good at basketball? want to remind everybody as well, podcast merchandise is on sale. White Nike hats with the logo on the front. Also, black koozies with the white logo on one side of the koozie. The koozies are $3 or 2 for 5 They look wonderful. The hats look wonderful as well. Stay tuned for Black Hat Limited Edition giveaways on Instagram and Twitter. You can follow me on Twitter at WM underscore Galloway. This is the Galloway Podcast. We had Ryan Fowler. We talked about Texas. We talked about the Cardinals, talked about the Braves, talked about the Nationals, talked about Alabama basketball. And thank you so much for listening, whether it's Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or SoundCloud. Thanks for listening. Hope you share it with your friends. This is the Galloway Podcast, where there's the right way, there's the wrong way, and there's the Galloway.